Just to prove I have long been a teacher and professor, I'm going to give some assignments. The first is get enthused. Branch Rickey was a baseball executive best remembered for breaking Major League Baseball's color barrier by signing Jackie Robinson and drafting Roberto Clemente, creating the framework for the modern minor league system and introducing the bat batting helmet, which has probably saved a lot of lives. His achievements and outspoken Christian faith earned him the nickname the Mahatma. The wise and accomplished fellow advised prefer excesses of enthusiasm to the complacency of wisdom, which doesn't work as a soundbite, as it's easily misinterpreted to mean prefer enthusiasm to wisdom. To me, it means when wisdom becomes complacent, it threatens to nullify the enthusiasm that arises from passion, imagination, or inspiration. In the context of writing, the proper role of wisdom, or you can call it craft, is to serve enthusiasm, which you might call art. For instance, wisdom ought to remind us that not every passage delivered from a passionate or inspired heart is a gem to be shared with readers. Some of them will only speak to us or only make sense to us if we're in a certain frame of mind. And even the real gems might not deserve to be in the context we place them if they intrude upon the story or call it the structure. All of which is why some folks claim writing can't be taught and some claim it can. Craft can be readily learned. Passion, imagination, and the openness to inspiration, not so readily. Assignment number two, banish ambition. Raymond Carver, master of the short story, advised us to write every day without anxiety or ambition. He claimed his stories reached a higher level when he began to follow that advice. Ambition may strive or may drive us to work harder, but unless we can leave it behind when we go to our writing places, it shifts our attention out of the present, makes us strive to please. Worse, it may spark the temptation to imitate, and while we're imitating, we're not being ourselves. Being ourselves, expressing our own unique angle on life and our own unique voices, has to be our goal. Assignment three, get humble. I have known lots of writers, some of whom I have watched grow from novices to masters, and I've observed that the masters and the ones I suspect are on their way to that level have in common their desire to learn and their willingness to set aside ego and ask for help and listen. A problem rises from the nature of most artists. We need to be hypersensitive and vulnerable to emotions in order to give our art passion and to make a way for the spirit to reach us. We also need to be bold, unwilling to run from experience or pain that can give us insights to pass along. 
So we can't take the easy route to boldness, which is denial of fear and other troubling emotions. When I observe a beginning writer who appears terrified to receive criticism yet asks for it, and who listens even while it batters his heart, I believe I've encountered a potentially fine writer. One such person was a student at the University of Arizona when I taught there. Since he had finished the MFA in writing before I came and had gone on to seek the Ph.D. in literature, he didn't have the occasion to take any of my classes, yet he brought me stories to read and listened eagerly to my comments. He was no great writer at the time, but he became a master and won the Pulitzer Prize in fiction. On the other hand, I've known dozens of students, passionate writers amongst them, who respond to critiques with explanations and excuses. I can't think of any of them who have begun to reach their goals. Authors who publish and get acclaim often slip into thinking they have arrived. They have magic, their words are golden, and they're beyond the point of worrying much about story structure, readers' expectations for a particular genre, or anything else that will restrain them. They're usually quite wrong. I know I was. Publishing a book, even to high praise, should make us more humble, more grateful to the spirit that moved us and the people who helped nudge us along. It should make us look closely for what we did right and use that knowledge to inform our next story while we also attempt to grow and reach for the next challenge. Just because we can climb the first rung of a ladder doesn't mean we can fly. I gave a manuscript copy of a new novel to Dana Crowell, a student of mine, and asked for her comments. She gave it back with lots of praise and this critique. Quote, my biggest issue was with sentence length. Some of the sentences were so long I had to reread them several times to follow the story. Michael Seidman, an editor of Popular Mysteries, says that for commercial books, a sentence should be between 8 to 12 words long, a paragraph no more than 9 lines. Some of your sentences have 52 words. Just something to think about. That sent The sentence length stopped me. I wondered, did Faulkner have to put up with such trivial crit criticism? But that's no concern of mine. My concern, the question I need to ask, does God want me, not Faulkner, to work with this advice? Given that Dana got stopped by some of my sentences, though she is quite literate, I choose to heed her comments. But I didn't take them at face value. I took them under consideration and gave myself a task that I hope would better inform me on the sentence length issue. I picked up Michael Connolly's last book and read it with an eye to sentence length. What I found humbled me. To find out why, subscribe to the podcast and or buy a copy of Writing in the Spirit, the book.